Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. All right, folks, we're back for another episode of Human Performance Outliers podcast, and I'm excited because I've got kind of two guests here, or you could look at it as a fellow co-host and a guest here, um, but they both are going to be really interesting interesting interviews, I think. Uh, Nicole's been on the show before, so you'll, you'll be able to check out a solo interview with her in the past. And then uh, the, new, the new guest is uh, Addie Bracey. Uh, Addie, welcome to Human Performance Outliers podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Stoked. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was funny. Nicole and I were, I think it was on maybe Saturday afternoon or Sunday. Uh, we just happened to see on one of the social media channels, uh, a result popped up. And it, it was your name tied to it for the, <laughs> the, the Quad Rock uh, 50 mile that you, you not only won, but won outright. So um, I were like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. I think we didn't even anticipate that happening going into the interview. We had it scheduled and everything, but uh but we could uh start off with maybe chatting about that how did how did training go for quad rock and then how did the race kind of play out obviously it ended well for you from a results standpoint yeah so quad rock's a, a really awesome like local 50 miler up in fort collins i think this is the third year in a row i've done it so i usually try to do it um it's usually like decent competition with so many locals that are fast um Originally, I was supposed to do uh, Run Rabbit Run 100, um, so I was kind of training through this race, and then uh, they canceled Run Rabbit, I think, on, like, Wednesday, and so originally, I wasn't, you know, resting too much for Quad Rock. I think I had, like, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, the week before, where I did, like, over 60 miles, and so I was like, oh, we'll see how this goes, but I just, you know, decided once they canceled Run Rabbit, it was like, I'll just do a hard taper and just do short runs the next few days. And then see, you know, it's probably my only race of the year. So I uh, see what happens. And then unfortunately, I think the day before uh, the third wildfire in Colorado started actually right by Fort Collins. So we weren't even sure they were going to have it because the smoke was so bad. Um, but they had it and yeah, went out and just tried to do, it was a tough day. I don't, I don't think I've run in that kind of condition before with the smoke and that race is usually two months earlier. So it was also actually I think three months earlier. So it's usually like last year there was snow on the ground and this year it was 95. So uh, it was a challenge, but yeah, it was so much fun. And uh, an athlete that I coached was the second woman and another athlete I coached was the second guy. So it was just a really cool day to, to be out there with people that I know and run hard. Yeah, that seems incredible. I had thought it was earlier in the year because I always feel like people do it as a Western States build up. So mm. I'm glad you confirmed that because yeah. I was kind of like, I don't, I think it's usually before Western. It is. It's usually in May. You're right. A lot of the locals here will do it as a tune up, but they had to push it back um, due to COVID obviously. So yeah. still cool that it got to happen. I, I keep having a, a double take with that stuff where you'll see an event pot, like on a calendar or something that's normally in the spring, <laughs> trying to reschedule for the fall. And it's like, yeah. you get used to them being where they're at but um but that, it's very cool does does nick clark still is he still the rd for yeah. quadrant oh awesome yeah. yeah he's so cool yeah i talked to him for a while afterwards i i didn't know actually because i'm relatively new to ultra running um that he was such a badass and then i like found out yeah. race, like how amazing of an app so we talked about it a little bit at the at the race yeah yeah nick's great but uh you have to ask him <laughs> yeah humble. you'd never know <laughs> cool so no that's actually a a good kind of intro, I think, because let's let's hop back actually into, um, you know, how did you find yourself at Western States and find yourself at races like Quad Rock? You know, a lot of folks, I think, have a pretty cool background story as to like what brought them to ultra running. What was their first kind of introduction to the, even the sport of endurance? Well, and just even taking it back a step further, you're an incredible runner. So just your background in running is amazing. You are very talented. So we definitely don't want you to be humble. We want to hear about <laughs> all of your records, et cetera, because you were definitely a, 
a super phenomenal runner in college and beyond. So. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I've dabbled in like every single, I always say I'm like a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing where I can, I can run anything pretty decent, but you know, I'm not, I'm not usually on top of the podium, but yeah, I'm, I'm new to ultras and semi new to trails, but definitely not new to running. Um, cause I started running pretty young, probably gosh, eight or 10 years old, just with my dad. He's a big, big runner and running fan. Um, and then, yeah, I ran in college uh, at the university of North Carolina and, did pretty decent there. And, um, afterwards was just, it was hard for me to consider stopping just because I was done with college because I'd gotten better actually almost every race, not even just every year. Um, so just kept training on my own after college. And, um, I think when I graduate 2009, so a couple years after 2012, uh, qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon and in the 10 K. Um, and then eventually made it to Colorado and yeah, stayed on the, the, the road and track for probably another seven or eight years. Um, but when 2016 rolled around, it was one of those, I just wasn't getting faster anymore <laughs> and track and roads are so objective. And so if, especially if you're trying to compete at the elite level, it's, you can get left behind pretty quickly because U S is so amazing. And there's, you know, young athletes coming up every year. Um, so I started to get frustrated with you know, I, I think I almost made the Olympic trials in the steeplechase that year. I think I missed it by two or three seconds. Um, and it just kind of wasn't worth it to me anymore to keep pursuing this sport where I wasn't getting better, but like I loved running and I loved training. And so that hadn't faded and it was kind of serendipitous. I, to be honest, I didn't really know much about trail running and ultra running. Um, but a friend of mine, who's also really good, Matt Daniels, uh, we trained together, uh, like on the roads and on the track had just, started racing some shorter distance mountain races. Um, so three weeks after my last track race, I retired for like a week and was just going to be done running. And then he convinced me to go to New Hampshire and run uh, the U S mountain championships. I had no idea what that was. I showed up the day before and like hiked the course and was literally like, I don't understand. <laughs> this is where we're running up this. I don't get it. Um, and it was so fun. And I, you know, I ended up winning the race and felt like I really found something that allowed me to keep training and competing in a way that was fun and not the drudgery that I was experiencing for the two years before where I just, the, the not getting faster and the not having the results focus was like taking the joy out of it. Um, so basically I just kind of jumped into this world and it was also, I guess, lucky that I was living in Boulder and it's a big trail community. And so there was quickly a lot of people that, you know, jumped in and helped me and showed me the ropes and that kind of thing. Um, I very quickly moved to ultras and I don't, I can't, looking back, I don't really know why. I think I was just very intrigued. So I think I ran my first 50 mile within two years of starting trail running and then a hundred with in the next year, actually less than a year, like six months or so. So um, since then I've kind of been hooked on ultras though. And I think that's a little bit to do with my obsession with psychology and the mental side of training. And so that's kind of, I think why I've stuck in that area. But um, to be totally honest with you, I wish I'd found this world 10 years ago, I think my career would have been a little bit different and the community is amazing. The races are amazing. Um, so I've been encouraging a lot of, you know, track and road athletes who maybe are where I was like kind of burnt out, not really knowing what to do to, to try it because it's been awesome. Yeah. It's funny with, uh, with the ultra running, especially on the trails, I think there's like this pull towards that hundred mile race. So you know, once you kind of hop on the trails, regardless of the distance, eventually that one kind of, kind of pops up. And, uh, I always tell folks when they're there, when I'm working with them, they're going to try to do their first ultra marathon. And I say, it's a slippery slope. You do one and then it's going to be, there's a pull to do a, one a little further or one on a little more remote location. And it can get, uh, like you said, there's so many options of races out there. It becomes almost like becomes your focus just because you want to try to get to all these different type of races and try these different things within that kind of sport and community and it, it, it tends to be endless. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Just thinking about kind of where you were, um, making that transition. Do you feel like it is challenging to kind of separate your identity as a runner? Um, when you're having kind of times where maybe they're more of a winter period versus a summer, do you think that that is a difficult aspect of the sport? Because I personally have always found that challenging. Yeah. And in fact, I would actually say I've learned to embrace it, but I would almost say that's a difference uh, because when I was running on the track and roads, there's always a season, you know, winter's cross country season, you're still racing, but you're right in ultras and trails. I mean, you can always find races, but for the most part, the season 
because of the weather tends to be, I don't know, like early spring to late fall, maybe for the most part. And so, yeah, I think it's, that was a change for me is like, well, what do I do now? And you know, a lot of athletes will like do schema or what, and I don't, I don't do those things. And so it's, I think it's taken some time to kind of embrace that off period. I think it helps the time of my life that I'm into just because now I do have, you know, a career and I was in school for a while, so it's a bit easier, but um, I mean, I sometimes am nervous about how much of my identity that running is, and I'm very aware of that. And yet, actually, do kind of put intentional effort into like balancing that out for that reason. Yeah, I would think that if it was so tied, kind of at that that elite level to your identity, I, I'm always amazed by how athletes strike that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems challenging. Yeah. For sure. I think it's something that a lot of people maybe don't think about. In fact, I think the first time I was kind of really confronted with that was having my first real injury this winter when I couldn't run at all. And I think that was like almost scarily eye-opening because I was like, wow, I think too much of my yeah identity and worth is tied up into this. So in, in a way it was good to kind of go through that and realize like kind of on a slippery slope here a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, uh, Addie, that I think we could probably do a whole show just on your running and your, your history in the sport of running. But the other kind of interesting thing you bring to the table is you have a background in sports psychology and uh, you're actually currently writing a book about, uh, I think is that the book is specifically about ultra marathon runners, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and uh, I think that angle is just so interesting in general for anyone who participates in sports, who's played team sports, competitive sports, anything that, uh, you know, requires uh, that kind of a mindset. And what, with your kind of perspective, do you see anything that's kind of unique to an ultra runner's psychology as the way they approach the race or the sport versus some of the more kind of standard, like Olympic distance races, since you've kind of had the experience of competing kind of at the top of the end of both of those categories? Totally. Yeah. And in fact, I, I happened to be in grad school when I started running ultras. And I think that I immediately was like, whoa, like something is happening in this sport that's, I mean, I'm very biased, but I think it's pushing the psychological limits probably more than any other sport right now. Um, sports psychology and mental performance is important in any sport, in any event, of course. But I think in ultra running, it's like a bigger piece of the pie. Um, when I think about my track days, you know, there's absolutely a psychological piece, but the barrier of entry at the elite level in terms of your physiological capabilities is pretty high. Like you can be the most, you know, mentally sound person out there, but if you don't have, you know, a certain set of like physical tools, it doesn't really matter. Um, And I think in ultras, I still think that the physical side is hugely important. Absolutely. But I think it's the thresholds a little bit lower and the people that are really performing have like, maximize the psychological side because you're you're not operating at your like maximum physical capacity but you're operating you know high enough that like fatigue is an issue focus is an issue um like moderate to like decently high levels of discomfort that i certainly haven't learned how to tolerate yet you know even being someone that can run a fast 10k on the track i think the other difference is just the sheer length of time so when I think back on some of my track races, I always kind of, I always used to say there's like this one decision point where things are pretty hard or maybe you're like with a pack of runners and starting to fall off and you kind of have that like mental decision to make of like, am I going to stick in this and like try to stick it out and stay or not? Uh, in an ultra, you might have 200, 300, you know, little decision points in a race. And so I think it just adds up more. Um, so that's kind of the way I describe it. I don't think that it's it's the psychological pieces everywhere, but I think it's a bigger piece of the pie in ultras. Um, and then what you said, Zach, in terms of different courses and stuff, I mean, as soon as you put, when you think of track races, you're seeking no adversity, right? You want prime conditions, no wind, no bad weather, perfect surface, like everything needs to be perfect so that you can run fast. But in ultras, I mean, everything's going to hit, like shit's going to hit the fan 20 times in a race. So it's like, the more variables you bring into into place, the more the psychology aspect is is important too, because there's other there's all these like uncontrollable factors that you're dealing with all the time. Yeah, I think uh, one of the other one that kind of stood out to me too was uh, when you think of just the mindset going into competition or going into a race, whether you're there to challenge yourself and what you've done in the past or what you think you can do versus trying to race against other competitors is you know, you, you total on for a hundred mile race. And the last time you ran a hundred miles was whenever you did your last race, which might've been half a year to a year or even, you know, further back. 
So you've never actually experienced what you're about to try to do and since like the last time you did it or possibly never before. And with other sports and including like track and field is you've ran the distance time and time again. Uh, and you can kind of do like lots of dress rehearsals. I think the, like the mindset is a little different because you kind of have this little more focalized uh, opportunity. I think even though the races are incredibly long, they have this kind of focalized opportunity to execute on that day. Whereas, uh, you know, with, you know, something like a 10 K you could have a bad race and go back and do it again the next weekend, obviously specific events like the Olympic trials, things like that make it a little more high stakes uh, with that, that side too, because there's only so many of those opportunities available. But I do think kind of that like thought of the unknown or removed removal from some of those sections in these longer races from a time perspective are really interesting things to try to wrap your head around when you're kind of coming up to race day after like a full training block. Yeah, for sure. I think in the book, actually, our first chapter, I kind of outlined some of the major reasons for what we're calling like psychological DNFs. And that's one of them. The gap between practical experience and race demands is huge, even if you're one of the top runners in the race. So I, I think you're absolutely right. What are some of the key qualities that you identify that you think are striking about some of the top runners and their ability to kind of power through things? What, from a sports psychology perspective, are there, are there tools? I'm interested. It would be great to channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the, yeah, the, that's kind of what the book is, honestly, is I separated 10 chapters that are what you're asking, the 10 qualities or mental skills or mental approaches that I think are most important or at least have been, from my experience and what I've seen and what I've studied in research, tend to translate uh, the most. So like Zach was one of the chapters in terms of, um, you know, I think obviously you have, at least from my perspective, like really put an effort and intention into like self-talk and being able to manage those thoughts and doubts and whatever um, might come. And I think that's a big one because you're out there by yourself for, you know, 20 plus hours. I think probably one of the biggest ones that I've noticed that this has honestly been a little bit hard for me just because I spent 20 years in racing in controlled environments is some of the top athletes just don't get shaken very easily, if that makes sense. So it's, they've gotten very good and you're both of you are one of them, you know, at separate at, at not putting too much energy into the things that you can't control. So not getting like, and for me, that's been a challenge because I'm not used to that. So okay, the weather's really hot, or I'm not getting my fuel down, like I'm puking for 20 hours, which is always what happens to me, or um, anything that pops up adversity-wise, it's, you can, and Courtney probably is the best at this, in my opinion, but, you know, troubleshoot what you can, and just deal with what you can't, and so it seems like, in general, I mean, and you can even feel that you go to an ultra race, and the vibe and the energy is, everyone's just so, like, chill, and happy, and, you know, positive, and that's not always the case, but that's kind of the energy compared to maybe some other sport environments that I've been a part of. It's just this ability to adapt and deal with whatever comes, you know, comes at you on the trail. Yeah, no, it's interesting um, that you say that. And I, I have to say, I, I do remember Zach, when you were setting that world record and watching you, you could almost see his face transition and he, he bought into that he could do it. So just watching him power through when, you know, physically he had to have been suffering. I mean, he was running around an indoor track, but watching, and that was one of probably the most powerful memories I'll, I'll think about from a running perspective, because you could visually see that change. And when he bought into that belief that he was going to power through and finish, even though you had had some bad times, I, <laughs> I probably will never forget that. And obviously I didn't have a lot um, of other things to watch in the indoor track, but it definitely is memorable to me. Yeah. I mean, I think like there's, there's certain, things that happen when you in these races where you learn something about yourself or you learn something about a strategy or a belief you had or didn't have that changes and it's like okay I need to look at this a little differently and at uh I actually maybe had a bit of an experience with it before the, before the world record in the Pettit Center last August which was probably helpful but at the San Diego 100 earlier in that year I ran a pretty strong final 25 miles and in hundred milers, I always kind of felt like the last 20, 25 miles were just holding on for dear life. And the, the best you could hope for essentially was not to hemorrhage time. And 
Um, I thought, you know, maybe that's just something that you kind of have to realistically expect with something that that's long where the additional fatigue, both mentally and physically are going to just make those final miles less opportune. Um, whereas it just wasn't the case at San Diego and it definitely wasn't the case at the, at the Pettit center. So I think knowing in your mind, like I can do this, or I have experience showing that this is possible, gives you that kind of mental psychological outlook that you need to do because the, it's like you said, Addy, the interesting thing about ultra marathoning is like, even at the top end of the field, the paces isn't, the pacing isn't that ridiculous. It's like, you know, it's, it's very aerobic actually. So like if you're physically breaking down, um, you can like probably still push through a lot of situations. And that's kind of a weird mindset to be at as an athlete where like, if you're slowing down, it's a, it's a kind of a mental glitch as much as it is a physical glitch. And I think sometimes people internalize that kind of a failure a little differently than maybe they would like, Oh, you know, my, 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 my muscles blew up. Therefore I couldn't continue. It was, there was no opportunity kind of a mindset. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And I, I mean, I think you nailed something too, in terms of we kind of even subconsciously create these belief systems. And so even if you weren't like convinced in that moment that you could set that record, at least from our conversation before, it sounded like you at least had a conversation with yourself that changed into like, well, I'm curious enough to try, like, I'm going to try instead of like, well, I can't because traditionally you slow down in the last little bit and I'm already slowing down and I'm hurting. Like just a, the power and being able to shift that in that moment and have that conversation that you did with ourselves. Like, I think some people just think athletes like yourself that are setting world records, like don't have those moments. And that's why I think it's so powerful to share these stories because you do, everybody has doubts and everybody has, you know, times when they're like, I don't know about this, or they feel the fatigue and yeah, you're right. Like, am I, is this something that's really serious? Like, probably not. Like I've walked in races because my feet hurt. Like that's so silly looking back. I'm like, it was just my feet hurt. Of course they did. Um, so yeah, I, I think you, you obviously like have nailed a lot of things and, and chosen your results, but I'm hoping by sharing some of these stories and sharing, you know, how you've learned these things, even if it's, I don't know if it's through studying or what, but obviously, you know, that's, that's a transferable skill that someone can take into their own running. Yeah, I think that's incredible what you're doing. I I wish um, I could have read your book 20 years ago when I was starting running because I feel like I was a head case. Um, I think you <laughs> less so, Zach, but I think it would have been a great skill set to have along the way, especially just thinking back as a younger runner. Just remember being so terrified in high school and college, getting on that line, and probably just was detrimental from a performance perspective. I mean, I almost think so many runners almost do psych themselves out even before they give themselves the opportunity to perform. So yeah, I totally agree. You know, the, the, one of the interesting and Nicole, you kind of hinted at it a little bit is that like both of you kind of have a similar kind of introduction to the sport where you got started kind of early on earlier than what a lot of people would at least be taking a sport like track or cross country, probably seriously. Um, and then ultimately, you know, that hard work and effort, resulted in competing at division one colleges and uh, you know, then transferring that into having success in ultra marathons and trails and things like that. So the, the interesting thing to me with that sort of stuff, cause you know, for me, I feel like if I had been faster and took it a little more seriously in high school and college and had been in a position where I was a division one athlete or something like that, I don't know what would have really spurred me to kind of change directions, but you both kind of did that. I know Eddie, you talked about it a little bit, but was there like a point in time where you were just like, uh, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try something different, do this, do an ultra mar or do, you know, do, do a different discipline within the sport of running. And what was it like when you kind of first experienced success within that? And then Nicole, you kind of maybe two after, if that's okay. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, kind of the reason why I made the comment, I wish I would have found the sport 10 years ago is it comes more naturally to me when I think back on my skill set as, a, you know, a track and road runner. I'm not very fast. And I know people like scoff because my PRs are like relatively decently fast, but I'm not that fast. And in fact, I usually, I can run, you know, 130 mile weeks and be fine. But if I do track workouts, like I get injured or... Um, it was kind of like I was, you know, you see running. And I think at that time, the, this, the sport, the field was like kind of more narrow and now there's more opportunities. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll do this thing and try to make this event. And 
it was kind of like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like I was trying to be this athlete that I don't know that I ever really was. And I had some success, but to be honest, it was like pretty frustrating a lot of years, like how hard I felt like I had to work to be like average at the elite level. Um, so when I switched to ultras, it almost felt like things clicked for me. It was like, well, I actually think this is like what my body's meant to do. You know, I have the strength to, to cover a lot of ground and I still do have, you know, some speed work under my belt. So um, I think a lot of times we get afraid to, like you said, like make a change, like try something different um, and, and maybe try to continue to force something that's not, I mean, if it's not coming, but you're still enjoying it, that's one thing, but I wasn't enjoying it either. So it's like, it wasn't coming and I wasn't having fun. So why was I doing this year after year after year? And so as soon as I was just willing to try something different, I'm like, why did I wait this long to do this? And, so, and that's not knocking, you know, that part of the running world, but it's just, um, I think it's empowering to try new things. And it's, you, you never know like how it's, how you're going to respond or how it's going to be. Yeah. Don't you think it's just interesting how you almost get in the habit of something and then you just continue to do it versus explore other options? I mean, I can say the same thing when I look back at running. I think even by the time I got to college running, I was pretty much burnt out. Um, and then I just kind of was going through the motions. And when Zach asked me questions about running, I just don't even really think much about even what I was doing in college, I think I was just so kind of burnt out and just kind of showing up to workouts, but wasn't really thinking much beyond that. So I, I find that kind of fascinating kind of um, looking back and I, I don't know if you had that same kind of feeling about kind of going through the motions, but um, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that you kind of found what you love to do and what you're so good at. Um, you're such a talented runner. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. It's like, oh, it's Tuesday. I do track workouts on Tuesday <laughs> and bones on, on Fridays and I do long runs on Sundays. And then it's like when you step back and you're like, but why? <laughs> like, but mm -hmm. just because, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about before the identity piece. Um, and it's not a bad thing, but I think, yeah, just sometimes stopping to think about is this like, what am I, is this what I want to be doing? Why, like, is there another way for me to maybe explore like my passion or something that I do enjoy about this and transfer it to something else, but change is good. And I, that's something I've tried to take into my training a lot. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing that I think you both kind of hit on with that, with your explanations that I was curious to hear is just, you know, when you start at an early age, like you did, and then it, you, you have some success within it, it, does kind of become your identity, especially at that young age when you're looking for an identity and then you get all this um, positive, uh, positive um, information coming back towards you. So you kind of go into that or into like years of your life where you're learning about yourself, you know, trying to kind of figure out who you are and this message of like, I'm a runner, I'm a runner, I'm supposed to do this, I need to do track workouts on Tuesdays, et cetera, et cetera you know, it just, you, you, you just kind of grow up thinking that is what you're supposed to be doing. And you don't necessarily ever ask why until you get to like, you know, pretty far down the road in some cases. So you, you two are, were post-collegiate athletes, essentially. Uh, by the time you kind of stopped and said, you know what, why am I still doing this? Is there a really an end game of this or what is it that do I enjoy out of it? And it sounds like both of you generally enjoyed running. And that's kind of why you're still doing that. You just didn't necessarily know why you were doing it within the framework that had been prescribed to you from the early age when you first got started. I, I mean, your last sentence, actually, that's perfect. I totally agree. And I think that is a reason why I like ultra running and trail running too is, I mean, you might feel the same, Nicole, but it's like, it's not just, it's like every year kind of looked the same. It's like, well, here's my 12 week buildup. I'll do 400. And then every year I'm racing the exact same track races. So I think it was just like the monotony too, but with trail and ultra running, I mean, every course is a different experience. The same course on a different year is a different experience. Training is always different based on like what race you're training for. And so I think there's just a lot more forgiveness and variability in it that I like. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And to me, it's just like a way to be outside and kind of explore the world. You see places that you would just never be able to experience unless you were actually on foot and you cover so much more ground running. So yeah, I mean, I, I think you're spot on there. I, I'm, I live, I like live more life and I'm more adventurous than I ever was. Like, you know, before it was like, well, I can't go do that. Cause I might get injured. And now it's, 
you know, I see everything as training. Like, oh, I go skiing, I'll go camping, I'll go hiking. Like, that's all training. Yeah, Time yeah. On feet. <laughs> exactly. yeah it's encouraged me so much to like live more than I ever did where before I think I felt like more restricted kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I had kind of a similar experience. I feel like within the context of ultra marathon running, when I got to a point where I had kind of just attempted running fast controlled hundred milers like probably a few too many times without stepping away from it and just thinking, okay, I need to hit the reset button on this in order to kind of get re-excited about the entire buildup in the race itself. And it was when we moved to Phoenix that I kind of had the opportunity to train in some areas that would open up some doors to feel comfortable enough to compete at, you know, more trail climbing, descending type courses. And I really do think like separating myself from the type of training that was becoming more monotonous and routine uh, was one of the big catalysts to allow me to kind of have a really good build up to uh, the race last August and, and, and finally kind of hit that one on the head. And it's, it's kind of similar to what you were saying, you both were saying in terms of just kind of the, the traditional distance racing that you, you kind of just maybe wore out on it a little bit. And then this variance and change in kind of the way you prepare and the way you maybe think about the race itself is just makes something you love inviting again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I would even be interested because that you're training so different from what I do, at least I think part of it too, is there's less before it was because I would do kind of the same things every year. Like I knew where I needed to, I knew what I needed to be hitting in this workout to be ready to race well. And so if I wasn't, it's, it's like, I don't know, every workout was like a mind game of like, Oh, well, I did this workout so much faster three years ago. And mm-hmm. I don't really have those measurements from, I mean, I did two, I did a uh, two hundreds the other, just not the other day. It was a while ago, but uh, granted I had been injured, but still I did two hundreds and I was like so stoked at the times I was hitting. And then I did the math and I was like, that's slower than my old half marathon pace, um, <laughs> but I didn't even care. Cause I was like, whatever. But before, you yeah. know, that would like really stressed me out. And so I think that's part of it too, is my assessment of what my runs and workouts mean is it, the thresholds like so much bigger. Of course, I still monitor where I'm at, but it's not like this little, you have to be getting faster. And if you're not, then you're getting slower. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to say after college, I was so sick of wearing a watch and looking down and having a watch tan. I don't know. I just always <laughs> thought that was annoying. So I just kind of threw away my watch and it wasn't a good one at the time. Um, but I've not really worn a watch since. And I just think it's funny, you know, now for purposes of ultra running, watches are somewhat meaningless, especially if you're on a court, if you're on a track, that's a bit different what you're doing, Zach. Um, and I understand why people like the data for their watch, but I still just um, am pretty comfortable training for a lot of the big races and don't even use any specific data. So um <laughs> yeah well and I think too like especially when it comes to just what we kind of currently know in, in kind of endurance training and stuff like perceived effort is probably your best gauge especially for especially for the two of you who've been running for as long as you, you really understand what it feels like to kind of hit a short interval or to hit like a, a tempo like a lactic threshold type workout or what you should feel like during a long run I mean you guys have rinsed and repeated that process so many times that uh, you know, if the watch is bothering you, then yeah, take it off. Because like, if your pace is, you know, three seconds slower on those 200 meter repeats, but you were hitting that physiological system that you're trying to improve, then that was a great workout. But if you get hung up on the splits you had in college, that can detract you from the positives. And uh, I think that's why the watch removal has been, <laughs> been good for you, Nicole, because you're yeah. like, you kind of like were freed from from that data prison that you were in when you were <laughs> trying to hit splits every, every Tuesday on your track workouts. Yeah. <laughs> I have like memories of being in junior high and running around. I was in the Chicago area. So in the winter, we would run around the upstairs in our school and be doing laps there and remembering the arbitrary, like, you know, 350 yards that we were running and for a time. And now looking back, I'm just kind of like, oh, I just, I can't even imagine doing that now. But it's amazing, you know, how you can buy into that and, um, it's great. I mean, I think it's, it's a great thing to have that positive feedback. And as a kid, um, be so focused on a goal. There's so many good qualities, but I do think it can take a toll at a certain point. Yeah. And I mean, there's a certain necessity, I guess, to it when you're running yes. on the for times, but 
yeah, 20 years of it was good for me. <laughs> Especially when yes. you're writing, you know, eventually you're gonna, like, it's fun when you're getting faster, but eventually when you flatten out, that's yeah. okay. But then when you start going down again, you're like, oh, this isn't helpful. Yeah, I'm getting close to that master's category. So I'm kind of like, oh, I'm probably <laughs> getting there. You're also, road marathons, aren't you? Oh, I mean, I would love to, you know, I think it's fun to change it up. So I have been training just to get out of the heat um, or I'm sorry, just because it's so hot here, it almost is easier to run fast for shorter periods of time. So I've just been trying to kind of train more for um, speed this year because, you know, with the, with the cancellation of races. Um, so it's been fun. It kind of syncs up well with Zach because I, you know, you know more the technicality of the terms, but it kind of allows us to do like me do a workout while he's doing like more of a. Yeah. Like we'll a, kind of pair up our stuff. So like if I'm targeting like aerobic threshold, that's usually pretty close to Nicole's like lactic threshold. So she can hop in on those and then <laughs> even if she doesn't have a watch on, then she can pace off of me yeah, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> So it's fun. I want to do a marathon time trial and um, it will not be impressive by any means, but I just, um, it's just fun to do different things. I mean, I've kind of found recently that I was kind of getting a bit tired of doing the ultra distance. I, you know, I had been in the sport for a while and I kind of felt I want to change it up. So during the pandemic, it's been nice to just do something a bit different. Um, and go back. I wish I would have um, done a bit more speed as right out of college when I actually kind of had more of that. So just trying to get some back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of almost like, well, I mean, the reason you probably didn't do speed out of college is because that's what was getting to you at that time. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's, it's the same thing from a different angle almost too. When you, especially when you start focusing on hundred mile races, now you've moved the race day intensity so far to the other end of the spectrum that that I think is kind of new and inviting. You're like, oh, sweet. I don't have to feel that that kind of sharp pain of what it's like to really grind down to that last gear and the end of a 5K because like everything is kind of relatively easier in the moment uh, when you're running 100 mile intensity. And I think you can you can kind of crave that and seek that out for a while. But then after a while, that almost kind of becomes the new kind of thing you're loathing or not looking forward to. And, uh, you know, with that, that's why I think it was smart for you, Nicole, to kind of make the decision to like, all right, I'm going to just step away from the thing that's been kind of difficult for my training schedule right now, separate myself from it for a little bit so that when I come back to it, I enjoy it again. And uh, I think that type of mindset is what keeps you in the sport for a long time if you're able to kind of switch those directions occasionally. Yeah, we all have what we, you know, we all want something we don't have at the time, right? Um, <laughs> Like as a kid, I always wanted straight hair. It's, you know, it's like that. It's, I don't think that's the reality. So yeah, they went running. I even still do for, and I don't, I mean, I'm, maybe it helps physiologically too, but I still do like, you know, track workouts and stuff when I'm training for hundreds, just because yeah. I get so tired just going out and slogging miles all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm with you. I mean, part of it is it's time consuming too. So I'm like, man, I could train for a marathon and do like five or 10 hours less a week probably than, than I'm doing now. But yeah, I mean, I, th I think, like, like we said earlier, change and variety is a good thing. And, and sometimes people aren't like willing to mix it up. But I think, yeah, I think smart what you're doing right now. No, thanks. That's good. I've got the, the pros telling me, so I'm in good shape. <laughs> All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by a company named Elemental Labs. Elemental Labs is a company that has created an electrolyte powder that you can mix into your drink. The reason Elemental Labs began developing the product Element is because Rob Wolf noticed that his performance seemed to suffer when he was taking part in one of his favorite activities, Jiu-Jitsu. And after a little problem solving, he realized that it was an electrolyte situation, specifically sodium. So he wanted to develop a product that gave him all the benefits of the electrolytes without all the additional sugars and fillers that you would find in traditional sports drinks. Element is packed with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium, and comes in four flavors of orange salt, citrus salt, raspberry salt, and raw unflavored. So if you would like to up your electrolyte game, head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. That's drink 
lmnt.com forward slash HPO and place an order. All right, now back to the show. You know, one other thing I wanted to ask while we were still on the kind of still on the topic, I guess, of like entry to, to sports and things like that is um, with your sports psychology background, what are, could you, can you think of like maybe a couple things that you would love to have told yourself when you were first getting in, that would be like a, a good, like psychological message to send a young, a young uh, boy or girl who's kind of just testing out sport for the first time in order to make it kind of a good mental process going in? Yeah, I mean, honestly, and I actually did this for most of my childhood, but one of the biggest things is, is, I don't know how it is where you guys are, but being here in, like, I lived in Boulder County for a while, you know, there's there's Olympians whose kids are in high school now, and their kids, you know, or this is the path we're going on, like, you're going to be a runner, and and I mean, I think there's, a, 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 like, some necessity to maybe specializing to a degree, but um, a lot of the sports psychology and probably even, like, physiology research says that specializing super young is not a good thing. Um, and even if it's just like psychological burnout. So, um, I think I, my parents were pretty good about putting me in a lot of different sports until I went to college. So I think that was something maybe that I did right. Um, but if I, I think honestly, it would go back to the, the identity piece. Uh, I think that's something that really took a toll on me at times in terms of when running was going well, I was, you know, like living the best life. And when running wasn't going well, I was pretty bummed and depressed and that's not really a good way to be. And I think there were some times when I kind of got in ruts because of that. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a difference, like having an identity outside of running and working hard and being the best athlete you can be or not like mutually exclusive things. You can have both of those things. And I think sometimes I've been bad at balancing that. Um, and when I have put effort into balancing that I've, I've performed better. So I think that's a big piece. I think with such a emphasis on, performance in general of, of young kids it's easy to yeah maybe get like I work with actually mostly high school athletes in terms of the sports psychology work I do and that's a big thing that we talk about and it probably is the biggest piece for them is that running is so much of their identity um, that it's almost detrimental um, so really working to have that balance yeah, I think that's huge. I can definitely say I definitely fall into that trap. Um, and I have to say, Zach, you are really unique with that. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, you got injured and I thought, oh, you know, I would just be so depressed right now. I don't know how he's going to get through it. <laughs> and I'd just come home for runs and Zach would be like, oh, I just found out about this new conspiracy theory. I'm going to investigate that. I mean, he just like kept moving forward and it was not something that was really ingrained in the identity. And I thought that was like a really good lesson to watch somebody. I mean, so many times when you watch somebody go through something and you kind of put yourselves in their shoes and watch how they respond in a better manner, it's, it's great to see, but I, I think that's great. And so in terms of those kids that you work with, um, do you think it's just getting them into other activities or other interests? Um, yeah. Is the, okay. <laughs> And having them kind of invest, you know, like identify with other, I guess the reason why it's been such a big topic is because of COVID. Um, two of them are seniors in high school and now won't have their senior year. Yeah. Um, so feeling that, you know, I do this exercise where we have a pie chart and we're like, okay, let's fill it out. Like this is you as a person, how much of your identity is family and student and, and both of them, you know, their running chunk was like 80 or 90% of the pie. Um, and, and that's, it's what I try to communicate is that doesn't mean it, to make it a smaller piece of the pie doesn't mean you're working less hard or that you're putting any less of your effort into it. It just means like if Zach is an example of someone that has a really great relationship with it, then an injury doesn't affect him as much emotionally and he's probably going to come out of it quicker. Whereas me, my, my pie was like 98% running. And so when I got injured, I was like just a mess and it took me longer to come back, I think. So it's having people understand that by, in, in bad races, you know, think about someone who bounces back from a bad race, like very well, they probably have a pretty healthy relationship with what their performance means about their worth or their identity versus someone who's like the world's over. Um, and so, so I think it's just separating, working hard, being the best athlete you can be and thinking that means that you have to sacrifice your identity in the process because it doesn't. Yeah, I think that's huge. I'm, I'm so glad that you're working with kids on that. I, I think that kind of insight as a, a younger person would be really valuable. Mm -hmm. 
And I think sometimes too, at that age, it's uh, or at any age, really, like if the, if the infrastructure isn't there to kind of support you in like kind of like different adventures and things like that, it makes it difficult. So like, I think like, um, you know, for myself, I was really fortunate that it was a pretty open door to trying different sports and things as a kid. So I never really found uh, my interest uh, in running until a little bit later so that it was by the time I got around to taking it seriously, I had already kind of tried and failed at all sorts of other sports, <laughs> uh, which uh, I think was at, at the time, you know, you look back and you're like, well, I wonder what would have happened if I would have been serious about running at a younger age, like where would I be? And it's like, it's easy to think of maybe some of the positive things about what could have been, but ultimately who knows where they would have kind of put you long-term either. And, and you got to kind of just kind of honor the timeline that worked and, got you where you were trying to get to. Yeah. And I even wonder with all of us talking if, you know, when I think I, I mean, as someone who would consider myself at least in a former life pretty fast, you know, I've seen some of the stuff you've done and be like, it would make sense for me to try something on the track at some point, but I'm not there yet. And so I'm almost wondering if like one of the reasons you're able to train the way you are and do the events you do is maybe you weren't as burnt out as Nicole and I were in terms of like that style or that, um, I don't know, more, not that it's more rigid, but you know what I mean? More like time-based and thinking like that. So mm -hmm. it's, it could even be a strength for you that you didn't, you come out feeling burnt out at a certain time and now are able to do these really amazing things as an adult. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that probably bears out in just participation. Cause it's like, when you just look at ultra runners, I mean, we populated the trails at much greater numbers than we have the, the streets and the tracks. So like um, the, in, which is, I think interesting point. Cause like in, a lot of people have access to a track. So like, from a training environment specificity standpoint, that seems like a low barrier to entry. But I think in a lot of cases, people uh, are fleeing that environment. They're like, Oh, I did that. Or, you know, the reason I stopped running for two years after college was because I couldn't bear to look at a track again. <laughs> so then when they get into ultra running, they, they're like, okay, it's trails, trails. This is what's inviting. This is what brought my life back to me from a running standpoint. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out as I think we get just more of a diverse pool of individuals coming into the sport versus kind of the ones that stand out a little more stereotypically from people who tend to find themselves running ultra marathons at some point in their life. No, I can say that as somebody that probably would have more thought that they had a skill set to do that, the track running, and I've, I've gone out for a couple races, I've DNF'd. I have not been able to pull it off and I have not also, so I, I would love ultimately you to look more into this as kind of from your perspective, from your sports psychology background, I cannot quite figure out if it's physical or if it's more of a psychosomatic. <laughs> I would almost lean to the latter though. I, I don't know. There's something about getting on a track that I just don't think I have that that ability to tolerate that pain anymore. And it is kind of fascinating. You know, you watch that and he just gets in the zone and just keeps going. Whereas I like, I'm standing on the sidelines, almost just like, this is terrible. Like that must be terrible, but he doesn't feel that same kind of sensation. It's really fascinating. Um, what I'm hearing is there's not enough going on up here <laughs> in order for me to. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe the opposite. I mean, the way I see it is I think, I mean, first you could be right. There could be like the strap, the track invokes like a stress response, <laughs> which it does for me. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. I mean, I think there's a piece of like, I think it's easy to look at ultras as like a blanket statement, but there's a very different mental skills and physical. But I mean, it's, I mean, when I see some of the paces you're holding for the, like as long as you are, or even I guess Camille is someone that does, you know, kind of the more road and track stuff. I'm, it blows my mind, but mentally too, there's a different skill set in terms of, um, I think I would struggle with, and maybe this is why I chose you for the chapter that I did is, you know, not having uh, built in positive distractions, like the terrain, like the aid stations, like the variants, like all that. It makes things like self-talk and being alone with your thoughts and managing what's going on uh, in your head upstairs, like a lot more important. And maybe there's a skill set that is more important on the trails, whether that's, yeah, adapting to conditions or, you know, whatever it may be. I think there's just a different skill set involved. So um, I don't know. I, I haven't tried one of those events yet. So maybe that'll help if I can ever get myself back on the track again, but <laughs> start with a short loop course where it's like 5k or something like yeah. that, or even a mile. <laughs> and then it, that's another, I think part of it too, is like, I, I don't think a lot of people they're in 
introduction to kind of like the longer side of ultra or a hundred miles and further come on a track. Whereas I had done Western States the year prior, but that was kind of just like learning what it's like to run all day. And then the first time I felt like I actually executed a hundred miler is was on a track. So it's, I wonder if sometimes it comes down to just like, I had a pretty good positive first experience. So I'm looking at it from that lens. Whereas someone like Nicole might be like looking at it as like, the worst 10k race in college ever and it <laughs> i don't know and that's I mean, your point of reference <laughs> i don't know i find them very rough i'm not gonna lie um i would also find the treadmill run very rough so i i think there's just certain things just to know yourself and also i do you all feel like this it's kind of like running should bring you joy right and so at a certain point if you're not enjoying an experience maybe that's not something you should do. Like I, I sometimes worry, uh, I think about ultra running and, and there's this, um, there's that death before DNF mentality and this, this need to finish things and be in pain. And partially I kind of feel like if it's supposed to be something that's joyful and a hobby, I don't know about always going down that road because ultimately we're just going to lead, it's going to lead to a similar situation that we ran into more with road running and track running. Right. So I think you kind of always want to do keep in the back of your minds that it should be a happy experience. And so that means different things for different people, but that's kind of my take is maybe the trails just are more joy inducing. Happy place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think, Zach, too, another th- factor that I, I think we talked about on the call is, and I kind of agree with you to an extent, Nicole, but I also think about, like, my own skill set, and I think the constant feedback is something I would struggle with that we were talking about. Like, on the treadmill, you got it right there in front of you, and you must be, you must have some ability to, like, manage those distractions that I feel like I don't have, or, like, you know, every lap of a track, you know, like, are you on or are you off, like, to, by half a second, by a second, by how much, and I think mm-hmm. that's what would drive me crazy, and, yeah, make it less fun for me, um, so, I mean, I feel like, yeah, you must have some kind of skill set, or you must have some ability to, like, not let that stuff rattle you more than I would. Yeah, I think you definitely, like, I'm definitely cognizant of not paying attention to every lap split so that, because I know, I know where that leads. (laughs) It's like you can burn some mental energy by dialing in your pace to where you want it. And that's probably going to behoove you if you're targeting a pretty exact time or specific time. But ultimately, I think you have to do the training in a way that allows you to kind of intuitively run the pacing you were, you're aiming for so that you can relieve some of that mental stress of having to know exactly what your split was every lap. So for me, that's just like, you know, sometimes what makes a great race is just being able to kind of dial in that side of things. So I find like when I am spot checking my paces, they're in range and then I can, you know, think about them less and reserve more of that mental energy for the end of the race when I can start looking at splits on a regular basis as a way to motivate me to stay on track versus kind of fall off. So yeah, are you, I guess, so you're still able to like tune that out enough to like, cause I can get in a hundred mile race or even a 50 like last weekend and just zone out and like mm-hmm. 10 miles have passed. But I feel like if I was doing laps and there was a clock or something, it'd be a lot harder to like check out and just kind of let some miles go. Yeah. And that's something I think I had to learn by just kind of moving a lot of my long runs to the track. I think like the, the reason I did that in the first place was purely mechanically. I was just like, well, I probably need to be used to turning on a regular basis so that I don't you know, injure something or so, so that my body's equipped for that. And that's how I started doing long runs on track. But then I quickly realized the big benefit was probably in just learning the psychology of zoning out on a track or an environment like that. Like, how do I kind of put myself in a position where I uh, envision that I'm somewhere else other than the track and get good at kind of doing that. I think that's something I've gotten better at as well. Just, you know, spending more miles, not really realizing I'm there, which it's kind of frustrating after the event because people always want to know, like, well, what are you thinking about? And you just end up sounding like an idiot because you're like, well, I think there was like two or three things I thought about the entire 12 hours, but uh, really there was probably a lot more that just went in that kind of just rattled around in my head and then, then left and I forgot about it by the end of the race. So it's uh, I think that is kind of part of that process. And the, the treadmill, I think is just an even, there was a goofier psychological variance to the treadmill versus the track. I thought 
Um, I thought, I actually think the track lines up from a psychological standpoint closer to the trails than does the treadmill to the track. And I would have thought, and I thought going in the treadmill and the track are just like, you know, a very small variance. Like they're going to be basically the same from a mechanical standpoint, minus the turning, obviously. And really it's just battling boredom, battling monotony, being in the same environment all day are going to be the big kind of similar things. But uh, the, just the idea, and this is the, the weirdest thing I think with the treadmill is there is a difference between regardless if you're hitting your splits or not kind of subconsciously controlling your pace and that kind of ability to kind of just do these micro adjustments faster and slower that you don't recognize, but you know, you're in control of is a way different psychological like set of uh, circumstances than it is being on a treadmill and picking a pace and then having to respond to that belt. And the best way I found to describe that, or the only way I can think about it is like when you're like, when you're younger and like, you know, an adult or someone tells you to do something and your kind of first impulse is I'm going to do the opposite kind of a mindset where you get on the treadmill and after a while it's like, Oh, I'm going to have to run this pace or I'm, I'm responding this belt versus me actually physically moving the machine. So that just creates like a drive to want to get off or a drive to want to change the pace or find variance. And that was kind of something that I anticipated, but not to the degree that it ended up playing out. That is interesting. Cause yeah, it's like this little, extra lack of control over something that arguably you is like the main thing you have control over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the tracker, the trails is your pace. That's interesting. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, the, the, from a, from a physical standpoint, it felt pretty similar. Like I didn't really feel like it was like beating me up any differently than a track does. And that would be the big separation from the track and the treadmill to like the steep trails where it's like, you just feel like if, if I would just do my track, ultra training and then jump into Western States or San Diego hundred or any of these trail mountain hundred milers, I would just feel like I couldn't quite maximize my, like, I, I feel like I had the wrong tool trying to, you know, do a task that the, the tool I should have had was trying to accomplish. And you just don't feel like you can quite do it as efficiently. You can't quite meet full potential when you put yourself in that position. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so that's, I think the biggest difference between kind of the track and the trail from a physical standpoint that matched up maybe a little closer to the treadmill. Yeah. Um, I, I actually would think that I probably got more anxiety while he was running on the <laughs> treadmill than he did, which is really sad, but I feel like for whatever reason, like watching some of these efforts makes me even nervous. Um, I don't know from a sports, I clearly I need a sports psychology session, but just <laughs> being around those types of environments, I feel like it provokes anxiety in me. So um, I don't know if it's like having gone through and being in those settings, it just brings back memories, but it's kind of fascinating. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah, there's probably a component of you understanding to some degree what he's experiencing and then add in that you have like no control over what's happening versus when it's yourself. I told, yeah. I would much rather race than crew like any day. Yeah. Um, you have no control over what's going on, but you know what the person's experiencing. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've actually given that some thought too, because like I've, I crew for Nicole when she's racing and I'm not, but Nicole's usually doing like I don't, I've never had to crew for you for like a, a race, like a track race where you're there, I'm there, we're both essentially in the same place the entire time when you're the one doing the work and I'm the one kind of supporting. Well, but I can relate to the anxiety that it induces when you're waiting for your runner to come through an aid station, when they come to the aid station. Like you, it's like you said, Addie, like I can, I know what she's feeling. If she can communicate how she's feeling, like I'll probably have a point of reference but it's this weird thing as a crew where like you want to feel what level of pain they are having or what their mindset is like, because then you can maybe predict what's going to happen a little better, but you can't do that. So you're like, you're just hoping and that I think that like induces some anxiety. So like to kind of go back to what you're saying, when I'm on a track doing 400 meter loops, you could have that experience nonstop the entire day. Whereas at like Western States, at least I have like a break from it as I'm going like, to the next aid station, which might be two hours before you're going to get there. And I'm kind of removed from that type of a stimulus for a while. Yeah. I mean, I would have to say though, like when we do the same events, generally I don't have as much success and I don't know <laughs> if I'm also worried about you and myself. I don't know, but I, when we do the same runs, I tried to think of any that I've actually done well at, and it just doesn't seem like it works out for me. You usually do well, but I don't, um, so 
clearly there's a lot of sports psychology issues that I need to focus on as we're talking through this. It seems like Zach's just way better at managing distractions than you and I are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think definitely spot on, at least speaking for myself. Like, No, I'm the same way. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, and I mean, being in the same race, there's like, yeah, you're for sure carrying at least a little bit of extra weight or a little bit of extra anxiety and stress wondering how they're doing. Because then that's, it's almost worse because I guess other than people telling you, like you have no idea, at least crewing, you kind of have the checkpoints where you can check in and see what's going on, but... Yeah. I usually just end up asking people along the course, like, where is he? And then they'll, you know, I'll hear back and they'll be like, why are you not focused on yourself? But I just am probably just more distracted. Yeah. That was a race that you did well at that. I was at Tara where oh, yeah. you did well there. So <laughs> I think it wasn't supposed, it was just supposed to be kind of like more of a, you know, a, I like, um, it was a training, a it was a training yeah, race, but, but it's a, it's funny. Cause like this year, like if you got in any races before all the, all the kind of closures and things, it's like, you kind of almost play hindsight 2020. Like I wish I would have peaked for that one versus yeah. using it as a training run. Had I known my goal race was going to get canceled. <laughs> I know that's true. Yeah. It's been such a weird year. And I, I almost wish like, I mean, Run Rabbit couldn't have known, but I'm like, man, if they would have canceled six weeks ago, I would have like gone on vacation and been like not yeah. running at all. And I just put in this big block, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, no, that, yeah. Signing up for races and watching them get canceled can't be a fun thing yeah. at this point. Um, no. Did you have any other questions you wanted to ask? I don't want to wrap things up if you've got some more stuff on the list of interests well yeah i mean we don't want to keep you too long but i'd like to hear more about outrunning because i thought oh, yeah. that was so great that you all organized that and so if you could tell us more about it it would be great to hear yeah yeah so we started outrun gosh two years ago um and it was originally just going to be like a little local group run in boulder and denver um, but we started having people reach out kind of from all over. So we're in the process. We're actually going to be announcing everybody here soon, but uh, we have ambassadors in 20 cities now, I think. So there's going to be like group runs popping up all over the country. Um, and then I think a big piece that we're starting to put more effort in is like the advocacy piece. So really trying to be a resource for race directors and events to kind of create a more inclusive registration process, like different policies that kind of make everybody feel welcome. I guess the way we describe it is running in general, but particularly trail running too, is just not very diverse uh, in general. I mean, even if you look at like female to male in marathons versus ultras, there's like way more males. Um, and it, but it's not as, it's not like a lack of uh, like supportive people and like a really great environment. It's an amazing environment. So I think we're just kind of trying to close, like close the gap between the two communities and bring more people over into the sport of people that are just like so awesome and amazing and welcoming. Um, and just, yeah, trying to do our part to kind of push a little bit more diversity uh, in the sport. So it's the reception and the feedback's been really good. And we're really excited for all the people coming on board and all the races that have reached out to us, you know, wanting help making their race, you know, more inclusive. Yeah, no. And I think that's amazing. So as what I do kind of more professionally, there's such a big, push at the corporate level for inclusion and diversity. So it's nice to see that carry over more to the running world because when I heard what you all were, I thought that was amazing. And I think that's great. Um, so it's great that you have you ambassadors in, in 20 cities too. That's, that's huge. Yeah, we're really excited about that because I think there's, and that's the thing too, is a lot of people just want like some community and like a little group to be a part of, and that helps a lot. So um, when we think back on like running's always been my coping mechanism in terms of like feeling like we talked about, like has my identity, like it makes me feel a part of something and it's made me feel like really good and supported and empowered. So just wanting other people to feel that too. Yeah, it is. It is like, it was like you're saying before, we kind of like touched on it a little bit, just like the psychology that is, you know, going through people's minds during the whole COVID pandemic and, when we finally find a solution for some of this stuff and can hopefully return to at least some aspect of normalcy, it'll be people are going to be craving those kind of communities and the more welcoming ones we have that are kind of focused on a positive outcome, I think is going to be, could be a, a, a big silver lining with all of this when, when we have like a big appetite as a, as a country to kind of want to seek that stuff out versus being 
trapped in our houses all day long. <laughs> that's true. And that's the thing we've been talking about is like, oh, it sucks though, because we can't actually have group runs mm-hmm. right now. But you're right, like laying the framework now so that when things do normalize, whenever that is, you know, it's already there and people have, yeah, communities to be a part of. Awesome. Well, Eddie, uh, like Nicole said, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, if you have anything else you want to talk about, you're more than welcome to jump in. Otherwise, uh, if you have anywhere that our listeners can go find you on social media websites or anything like that, feel free to share that and I can, can add those into the show notes. So it's easy for people to click over to. Yeah. I mean, Instagram is probably the thing I use most just at Addie Bracy. Um, that's pretty much it. I do sports psychology consulting through a strive mental performance. That's pretty much it. Cool. Sweet and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It sounds like I need to schedule a session. So. (laughs) And Nicole, where can people find you? Um, Instagram. Instagram as well. (laughs) Keeping it, keeping it simple. And what's your Instagram handle? Um, NK bitter. Perfect. Yes. We need to get better at that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. uh, Thanks again for tuning in and Addie, thanks for uh, taking some time out today to join us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Great to talk. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.